This is Loudspeaker. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Menares, and you're listening to the We Podcast, where together we find inspiration, encouragement, and growth through stories and real talk. Here we navigate the messy human experience together. We raise our voices and speak our truth. In this space, we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected, we are capable of growth, and that we are not alone. Are you ready? Let's get real. You're listening to episode number 101. In this episode, I get to talk with Krista Berry. Krista is a dynamic keynote speaker and author of the book, Beautiful Badass, How to Believe in Yourself Against the Odds. Krista is also the founder of She Goes High, which is a women's leadership community for introverts in Northern Colorado. Krista shares her story of overcoming poverty and depression and how she has now come to the place of working with women entrepreneurs. We talk about what it's like to be an introverted entrepreneur and mental health in relation to entrepreneurship. We also have a lot of laughs along the way. I love that Krista has created multiple ways to help women who want to take command of their destinies and no longer fall prey to the hardships and setbacks that previously defined them. This is a wonderful episode and I am so excited for you to listen. So here we go. Here is my interview with Krista. A lot of people maybe look at women who are successful and think it was easy for them to get where they are or i feel like the power is in the backstory and so what brought you to where you are today i love the backstory as well i feel like that's where a lot of the the magic happens right so often i think as we're creating any kind of goal that we have and we're working toward that goal we always think about the end result of getting there but really the most beautiful things happen in the journey to get wherever we're going and so my journey started with I grew up uh, primarily in the Denver area. I am a Colorado native and spent a lot of my childhood in poverty on welfare with a single mother who has a very serious mental illness. My mom has dissociative identity disorder. And there is a lot of mental illness that runs in my family. And I myself, growing up as a young child, had experienced depression as well as complex PTSD. And that combination of, you know, living in poverty, living on welfare, you know, having to navigate mental illness in my family, the trauma that I grew up in, it really changed so much about the the path of my life. I mean, I realized at a fairly young age that I didn't have access to the same opportunities as a lot of my peers. And a lot of the advice and the things that we were told in school, all you have to do is X, Y, Z. Well, that wasn't true for me. There was actually a lot more that I had to do because there were a lot more barriers in place to success and things that were simple tasks for a lot of my peers in school were not simple for me because, you know, I didn't necessarily have dinner on the table every night. I might have had to fend for myself. You know, when I was in high school in particular, my mom was going through a really difficult period with her mental illness, in part because she had been injured, very seriously injured on the job, and she was disabled, physically disabled, and she's been disabled ever since. And so there was really no one to necessarily take care of things around the house. I I stepped into that role. I'm not the oldest, (laughs) I'm the middle child, but really stepped into that role of taking care of things in the house. But I was just a kid myself. I didn't always do it well. (laughs) And I made mistakes. I'll never forget the first time uh, I bounced a utility bill. And that meant that our utilities got shut off or bounced a check for the utility bill. Because when I was 16, my mom had my name added as a signer on her bank account so that when she couldn't take care of paying the bills, I could write out the checks and stick them in the mail and everything like that. And I took that responsibility very seriously. (laughs) 
and making sure my younger sister got off to school and was fed. So, you know, even simple things like doing homework, all of a sudden were no longer that simple. When there was so much going on at home, my mom being in and out of uh, different hospitals at the time, and my mom had multiple suicide attempts around that time. So there just wasn't a lot of stability in my home. And I really had to learn to overcome a lot and be very resilient to get through that experience. And in fact, I am of I have two sisters and of my sisters, I'm the only one who graduated from high school. <laughs> and sometimes I think I graduated by the skin of my teeth. I mean, I actually graduated with, you know, a B average, so not bad considering everything, <laughs> but but it was hard. It was definitely really hard for me to maintain that B average considering everything that was going on at home. And, you know, at one point when I was in high school, we got evicted from the place that we lived. This is not when I was taking care of the bills and my mom was, so I didn't know it was coming. And I didn't know we were so far behind in the rent. And, you know, to have to suddenly no longer have a place to live, you have to just gather up, like pack a suitcase or two and take take what you can. And then you don't know where you're going to sleep that night. You know, it, it really was a lot to try to juggle at the same time <laughs> as, as all of that other stuff. So, you know, it's had a big impact on my life and, and knowing that I didn't have the same opportunities as a lot of the kids that I went to school with meant that I had to work harder, be more focused, be more motivated. And it all had to come from me. You know, I had to do that all myself. And, and that's what I did. And so that led to me eventually over time, you know, I didn't go to, to college at all. I have zero college experience because after high school, it just really seemed important for me to start working right away because there was no money for college. I mean, even with student loans, there was just so much going on in my family and I felt like I needed to get myself in a more financially secure place first and foremost. So I just started working right out of high school and kept on working and got myself into a much better situation and, you know, continue to improve my life to the best of my ability. And so, yeah, it wasn't easy. It didn't happen overnight. It really took a lot of determination, a lot of resilience, a lot of strength and just keeping one foot in front of the other, even on days where it didn't seem like I had anything left to give. It was like, okay, I just have to get up, get dressed, you know, do what's right in front of me. And that's what I did. It really is a definition there of privilege, right? Like I hear people so often talk about you know, people who don't believe in privilege say, but everybody has the equal chance. Everybody can do the same thing, right? But it, you really just talked about how you can do the same thing, but wh how, what if you're, you don't have food to eat or a place to live or, you know, all of those basic necessities that you need in order to move forward and thrive in life? Absolutely. And it was actually, that was a big motivation for me writing the book that I did write because I felt like so many times in my life, I had either been sitting in a room listening to some kind of presenter or reading books, you know, listening to thought leaders, podcasts, all that stuff, giving all this great advice, but recognizing time and time again, that a lot of the advice that I was hearing from people at the front of the room, it was good advice, but guess what? The advice mattered more, the higher your level of privilege and the lower your level of privilege, the less practical oftentimes that advice was. And I realized that so often that gap is not really being addressed. And, if, and it makes sense that it's not, because oftentimes the person who's at the front of the room is in a more privileged position to even be able to be do, they're doing that, right? Mm -hmm. And they probably don't realize that the advice that they're giving may not apply equally to everyone in the audience, and that there might be gaps that aren't being met. And it was interesting, I came across a study, it was a 2017 study that was done on these inner city youth. And what they found in this study was that when all of the students at these inner city schools were told, 
you all have the same opportunities to succeed. All you have to do is work hard and apply yourself and have a good attitude and you can achieve anything you want to achieve. That message sounds very positive and hopeful and optimistic, right? Like all it takes is hard work and dedication and the right attitude and you can literally achieve anything you want. But what they actually found in this study was that the students that had lower levels of privilege, they on some level knew that they didn't actually have the same opportunities to succeed. But instead of recognizing that difference, instead of knowing that the reason it was harder for them to succeed was because they had fewer opportunities and fewer resources, what they found was that these students suddenly started to perform worse in school, started to engage in risky behavior, and their overall performance just went way down. Mm -hmm. And they decided as a result of the study, what they said was that these students, they internalized this message that any level of success is possible for you. And when they could not achieve the success at the same rate as some of their more privileged peers, they believed that it was because something was wrong with them, that Mm -hmm. they were somehow fundamentally flawed. Mm -hmm. Because if I accept as truth that everyone has the same opportunities and that I can be anything I want to be, and I'm trying and I don't achieve it, well, then it must be me. I'm the one who's messed up that I can't make this happen. And when I read about this study, it just blew my mind wide open. And I thought, how many times have I been that person in the room, listening to the advice, trying to learn how to make my life better and realizing that there were 20 steps before I was getting to the step that the person was talking about. And recognizing how often when I hadn't been able to have the same opportunities as my peers, how often I did feel like it was somehow a personal failing of mine or a personal fault of mine. And that idea just inspired me so much to write the book that I did write that really addresses that idea of starting where you're at, being very honest with yourself about how well-resourced am I right now? What resources do I have? On the back cover of my book, on the jacket, there's a line and it says, you can't do anything, but you can do something. So go do the something that you can do. It reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah, I really love it. Actually, I use it a lot in therapy because you can't get to a place of healing in the deep inner work if somebody is doesn't have their basic needs met first. You know, when you have clients come in and they don't have a place to live or you can't do this, the deep the deep work, you can't focus on self-actualization when they don't know where their meal is coming from. I've never actually put those two together for some reason. So it's it's just really important. So your book is called Beautiful Badass, How to Believe in Yourself Against the Odds. Tell us more about your book. So as I said, I was inspired about this study that I read and my own experiences and realizing how important it is to address privilege and address what are the situational barriers that are outside of your control that you need to navigate on your path to your definition of success and what that looks like for you. So being in that place of starting from where you're at, of recognizing where those gaps are so that you can create a plan that's going to support you instead of trying to use a plan that's not going to support you. That was my inspiration for starting the book. And the title around Beautiful Badass, How to Believe in Yourself Against the Odds. So I wrote a blog for about 12 years and I wrote it right up until I actually started writing the book. And then I was so busy writing the book, I wasn't blogging anymore. But what was interesting to me is that the search term that was most popular to direct traffic to my blog over the years was How to Believe in Yourself. 
And I had written multiple blog posts over all of those years on this concept of believing in yourself. And it was the number one search term that brought people to my blog. And so that really inspired me in the title. And I realized as I was writing the book, you know, the title came much later. It didn't come in the beginning. And I realized as I was writing the book, how much this core idea of believing in yourself, I kept coming back to that and believing in yourself is again, going back to that idea that maybe you can't do anything, but you can do something. So can you believe in yourself to do the something that you can do? Coming back to this over and over again, wherever you are on your journey of saying, I don't know what's next. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, do everything that I'm trying to do, but I believe in myself enough to try. So I just kept coming back to that idea. And that's how the title was born. And it's so much, it's kind of a choose your own adventure book (laughs) in some ways. If you remember those old chapter books, because so much of what I say in the book is like, I'm not trying to tell someone how to live their life or what the right tools are for them. And frequently throughout the book, I'm sharing tools, I'm sharing my stories, I'm sharing my ahas, and then pausing to reflect and saying, what is in this for you? What's the nugget for you in this? And there might not be a nugget for you in this chapter. And if there's not, that's okay. There's probably a nugget for you in another chapter. And if you read this whole book and there's nothing in here for you, that's okay too. I hope you'll pass this book on to someone else that they might find a nugget in there for them, right? And so that was really important to me with the book as well, to present it from a perspective of not like, I'm this expert telling you how to live your life, or I'm going to tell you what I did for success, then you're guaranteed to you know, reach the same level of success if you just do what I did. I, I don't believe either of those things are true. That's actually really problematic, right? Like I see a lot of coaches out there saying, you know, pay me big, big, big bucks. And then I have like this formula for you to make big bucks and it doesn't work out. (laughs) That was my whole life, right? Like growing up in poverty, it was like, here's this formula to American success. You follow these steps, you do these things and you will be successful and happy and fulfilled. And I know that wasn't true for me. When I started my career coaching business, I found so many of my clients it wasn't true for either. People who hadn't even experienced the hardships and trauma that I'd experienced were like, I followed the formula. Now what? Because I'm not happy, I'm not fulfilled, and I am not where I want to be in life. The formula doesn't work if it's somebody else's formula. It, it is all about getting back to ourselves and that that self-belief and what one thing you're talking about really reminds me of is when I do parenting work too because a lot of times I tell parents if you have expectations for your child that are really 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 high and the reality is that they they can't you know meet that because a lot of times as parents a lot of parents have too high of expectations for their kids and then that that space in between makes the child feel like, well, there's something wrong with me. I can't live up to your expectations. And so it's really what you're saying too with the poverty as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Very insightful observation. So there's nothing wrong with us, any of you who are listening. (laughs) Yes. We just have to find our own standards in a lot of ways. But yeah, I want to switch gears a little bit because I know you do a lot with business. And one thing that really intrigues me is that you do business for introverts. And so I want to hear more about that because that's not something that's talked about very often. I agree. It's not talked about very often because that's one more level of privilege, right? If you're an extrovert, the word world really is primarily designed towards extroverted preferences and introverts. We try to learn or we do learn how to fit ourselves into extroverted roles and how to manage our own energy and stuff like that. 
And as an introvert, especially as I started my business, I really struggled with wanting to grow and build my business, but attending all these networking groups that were perfectly lovely networking groups, but extremely extroverted. And it was a challenge. It was another barrier to overcome. And I decided, what if I created a space and business like a networking group that was really designed for introverts by introverts. And as we say at She Goes High, the extroverts show up anyway. <laughs> you just can't keep those extroverts away. Yeah. <laughs> they just love to show up. And so I created She Goes High, which is a women's leadership community here in Northern Colorado with the idea of really being catered to introverts and introverted preferences. That does not mean extroverted, extroverts are excluded. We welcome and love them. It just means that how we design our events and the way that they flow and all of those things are really designed more towards how introverts like to operate. And my first event with She Goes High, I remember telling a friend, I will be really happy if five people show up and I'll be ecstatic if we have 10. And we had 22 at the first event and less than half of them were people that I knew personally. It was mostly people that I did not know. And we just really exploded from there. And it made me realize how much introverts craving a space to be welcomed and celebrated and seen and heard that it wasn't like, okay, go put on your extroverting pants and go to this networking event and, you know, try to soldier through with grace and then go home and don't talk to anyone for three days. Totally. Yes. I can (laughs) so relate to that. So a story I tell often at She Goes High is one day that we had a She Goes High event earlier that morning, I went to another networking group and I have to say every woman at this other networking group I attended was perfectly wonderful and friendly and so inviting, but the energy in the room was extremely extroverted. And for whatever reason on this particular day, I could just feel my anxiety going up, 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 up as the event went on. And we were at tables doing introductions, doing the round robin elevator pitches, you know, how you do at networking groups. And when it came to my turn, I froze and I wasn't even thinking. I said, pass. (laughs) (laughs) And this just beautiful, well-meaning extroverted woman looked at me so kindly and I think she might have even reached over and touched my hand and she said oh no honey we want to hear from you and of course at this point I felt so embarrassed and it was even deeper than embarrassed I actually honestly felt shame a little shame around having just panicked in that moment and been so overcome with anxiety that I could barely talk So I mumbled something so that the attention was off of me. And the rest of the meeting, I sat there thinking to myself, oh my gosh, these women must think I'm some kind of idiot. They must wonder how I have a successful business. I can't even introduce myself at a networking event, right? Like the itty bitty shitty committee in my head had a lot to say about that. (laughs) But the great part about this experience is that I get to tell this story at She Goes High. And so much of the time when I do tell this story, there are women in the room that just, I suddenly see their whole bodies relax because they realize that they're in a space that other people understand what it's like to be an introvert and that they're not going to be put on the spot. And we actually don't even do elevator pitches at She Goes High. Because we just have a different approach. Mm -hmm. And so the good part was I felt like that day that I totally froze and embarrassed myself at this networking event, I got a great story to tell to really welcome and encourage other introverts because I feel like, I don't want to say we've all been there, but I feel like if you're an introvert, we've all had at least one experience like that where we just got overwhelmed 
and overcome and did or said something that we looked back on and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did or said that. Totally. I can so relate. I hate just talking in general. Like when it comes, I like the anxiety around having to introduce yourself and being put on the spot. And, and I felt a lot of shame most my life for being, I was always shy, right? Like growing up, everyone called me shy. I hated talking in class and people make you feel bad about that. So what a beautiful thing to have a group centered around being an introvert. So what kinds of things do you do differently than maybe? Yeah. We don't do elevator pitches, (laughs) although I won't say that our introductions are necessarily easy because what we do instead of an elevator pitch is we say something that we are proud of from the last week. So that's really challenging for a lot of us to give ourselves kudos and to speak kudos of ourselves out loud and to be witnessed by a room full of women saying what we're proud of ourselves for within the last week. So it can still be challenging maybe, but I do always tell people that you're welcome to pass if you don't feel like talking. So that's another thing we do is it's like, hey, if you're just here to listen and receive today, we are so glad you're here. Listen and receive. Start where you are, be where you're at. So another thing that you focus in on is mental health and how it relates to entrepreneurship. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So as an entrepreneur, I know there's a lot of pressures related to entrepreneurship that is really unique that I just did not experience in my professional career. But what's really interesting is there's actually a lot of statistics around mental health and entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurs are 70% more likely to report having a mental health issue than people who are not entrepreneurs. And when you break down statistics even further, you find that entrepreneurs have a much higher rate of things like being bipolar, manic depression, and other kinds of very specific mental health issues tend to be more prevalent in entrepreneurs than the greater public. So it really is an important issue to address, especially because so much of the time, the pressures of being an entrepreneur, it feels like we have to show up as our best selves to the public eye, to our customer's eye, to our team's eye all the time. There's this fear, I feel like, underlying of if I show weakness, then I'm going to lose my credibility. Mm, Totally. And considering the rates that entrepreneurs deal with mental illness, That is a lot of pressure to feel like I can't show vulnerability around my mental illness or I'm going to lose credibility. And so I've really taken it upon myself to be kind of a champion in this arena and to really talk very openly about mental illness and the impacts on entrepreneurs. I have previously facilitated panels on this topic at Fort Collins Startup Week. And at She Goes High, we've also brought some panels to She Goes High around this topic. And then I've done some speaking in other arenas about this and really just creating space. I mean, there's definitely themes to all of my work. And the theme is start where you are. You are enough. You do enough. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to try to be, do, say something that isn't inherently authentic and aligned for you, that you have so much to give right now as you are today, flaws and all, Mm -hmm. that that's where you start from. And so I talk about this a lot. And then within the She Goes High community, with our impact member, we have a paid membership level and we do things like in our Facebook group, we have Mental Health Monday and it's an opportunity every week to check in How are you doing on your mental health today? Where are you at? Because just that practice of checking in with where we're at is so powerful. I mean, we don't even always need to do something about where we're at. A lot of the times just acknowledging where we're at is honestly enough to help us get through the day and the week a little bit better. When I'm experiencing mental health challenges, I try to be open about it. 
and say, this is something I'm facing today and I'm here showing up for this event or this meeting or this phone call anyway. And so I try to be honest about where I'm coming from at the same time that I'm navigating being a business owner and an entrepreneur and showing up in the world. That's powerful. And what a what an amazing modeling that you're doing for other people because other I'm sure most people think they can't do that, right? Like that's really scary. And I'm all about vulnerability. I love vulnerability. And it also scares me every single time. And the vulnerability hangover is real thing. <laughs> but to the, the more that we can model that, I think the more that other people feel empowered to be able to do that as well. So that's beautiful. I love that. I've always, I've wondered, and maybe you know the answer to this, if more entrepreneurs have ADHD, like what the correlation is between entrepreneurs and ADHD. Do you know that? I don't know that specific statistic. I haven't seen that one out there, but I really appreciate where your mind is going because I wonder too. I mean, I think one of the things that inspires so many entrepreneurs to become entrepreneurs is that, and I'm speaking for myself here and then other people that I know, but I can and have been very successful in traditional employment roles, but it's really a challenge for me. Entrepreneurship allows me a level of freedom and flexibility to be at my best and contribute in my best possible way because there's less constriction and structure around how I'm supposed to do it, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. when you're in a traditional job so much of the time, it's like someone else is setting the framework and they're telling you, this is how you're supposed to do your job. And this is when you're supposed to show up. And this is what you're supposed to say. And I can absolutely imagine that if you have ADHD, I do not, but that if you do, that, you know, that's really hard to follow someone else's guideline for how you should behave and what's normal instead of being able to say, you know, hey, I have superpowers of my own. I just can't always access them best by following this particular okay. structure. Yes. I love that you said superpower because I, you know, going through at school to become a counselor and learning about all the different disorders and all of that, I, it wasn't until then that I realized, oh, huh, maybe I meet the criteria for ADHD. <laughs> Interesting. And I refer to it as a superpower. I talk to my clients about it as a superpower because people with ADHD are very creative. They don't fit inside of a box. They have really powers to kind of see, absorb and see things that most people don't. And so I love, I love that. I totally agree. I, and entrepreneurship really does provide a, so much more freedom. Absolutely. And I think that that's what allows neurodivergent individuals to really thrive is that freedom and that flexibility to do things in a way that they are able to harness whatever their superpowers are instead of feeling like they have to follow some other model that maybe doesn't work for them. Yeah. I just really love this about you. And this is just a theme I'm really hearing is really helping people see the beauty of who they are and harnessing the gifts that they have rather than maybe focusing on something that they think they need to be that's different. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely a theme in a lot of what I do. And it came from, I needed to give myself that permission to get out of the poverty that I grew up in. I needed to give myself that permission to navigate mental illness in a better way to grow and succeed. It really had to start with accepting what I can and can't do. And guess what? I can do a lot. I can really do an effing lot. But I can't necessarily do a lot by someone else's standards, but I can by mine. And finding the, the power to stand in that is huge. 
So is that something you focus on at She Goes High? I'm assuming it probably is. <laughs> it totally is. Yeah, I have started to say at the opening recently, the words I often start off by saying, you are inherently worthy and you are inherently valuable. There is absolutely nothing that you need to do, nothing that you need to be, and nothing that you need to say to prove that to anyone in this room. We are so glad you're here. And whether you are having an awesome day and things just really seem to be going your way, or if you're having a rough day, maybe you cried in your car earlier today, anywhere you are on that spectrum, you are welcome here. And regardless of where you are on that spectrum today, I know that you have so much to contribute. You provide so much value in your community and in the world. And I know that just from you showing up today. Soak that in, ladies. <laughs> I think we need to go back, put that on repeat, listen to it a few times over and over again. <laughs> I have to say it to myself. I mean, right, part of the reason I say it is she goes high. Everything I say in my, right in my book, everything I say when I am speaking at the front of the stage, everything I say at she goes high, these are all things that I need to hear as well. And then I need to continue to be reminded of and to be in that space and live in that space every day. You're listening to a podcast on the Loudspeaker Network. To find other podcasts and unique programming, visit www.loudspeaker.fm. Loudspeaker, diverse voices, unique sound. Feminist Hot Dog is back with a new season packed with awesome interviews with icons, artists, innovators, authors, and lots of surprises. Whether you consider yourself a hardcore feminist or you're feeling feminist curious, tune in Wednesday nights at 8 Mountain and get all the information and inspiration you need to live your best feminist life. Listen Wednesdays on Loudspeaker and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. So what are maybe some tips that you have for people who are listening, who are entrepreneurs, tips to stay connected with themselves, to, to prioritize their mental health? So I would say it starts with a really, a really super basic thing is just to check in with yourself as often as you can and really acknowledge where am I at today? Something I wrote about in my book when I was in my 20s, I attended a support group called Wings for Women Who Have Experienced Sexual Assault and Sexual Violence. And one of the things we did every week at the beginning of the Wings meeting was we checked in with how we were feeling. And what was fascinating to me in this group was how much of the time I had no idea where I was at. And the Wings booklet had a list of feelings, a vocabulary of feelings at the back of the book. And I would sit there and I would have to read each word and ask myself, is this what I'm feeling today? Is this what I'm feeling today? And over time, this practice of checking in every week and saying how I was feeling gave me such a deeper sense of knowing myself. And being able to acknowledge, oh, this is where I'm coming from today. And that's just a huge first step is just to pause and check in. Where am I at today? No judgment about whatever the answer is. Just knowing where am I at today? What is the starting point for me today? Yeah, and maybe even printing out a feelings chart or there's some great ones on Google. I think that does trip people up because we're really taught like three emotions, <laughs> happy, angry, sad. <laughs> Maybe you could throw excited in there, you know, here and there, but a lot of people don't even have a feelings vocabulary. It's one of the things I added at the end of my book and the resources, there's some resources and I did, I put in a vocabulary of feelings because I was like, this practice is so powerful and you're right. 
so much of the time outside of just a handful of emotions that we're comfortable with, we don't always really know where we're coming from or we brush off where we're coming from, especially if people say, how are you doing? And, oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm good. Oh, I'm kind of having a hard day. But we don't really check in with ourselves. We give an answer that sort of glosses over. I prefer the question instead of how are you is say, what are you feeling? And I do actually use that with people often. I say, what are you feeling? And always interesting because it catches people off guard most of the time. <laughs> and then they stop and say, wait, how am I feeling today? Yeah. When's the last time you've been asked that? I don't think, not very often. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Look, another thing, you're changing it up. You're you're modeling well for people. Okay. So one other thing that you're interested in is imposter syndrome, which is prevalent, I think, <laughs> with entrepreneurs. So let's talk about that a little bit. I love to tell this story about this speaker training. I went to a multi-day speaker training years ago. And over and over again throughout the weekend, we had to get up on stage, get up on stage, get up on stage. And on the last day of training, we had an opportunity to get up on stage one more time. But this time was going to be different than all the others because this time was volunteer only. There wasn't enough time for everyone. My very first thought that popped in my mind was, I want to get up on stage one more time. And the next thought that followed immediately was, who do you think you are? And that itty bitty shitty committee in my head continued to berate me about seeming too excited to get up on stage or someone thinking that I might think I was full of myself or, you know, whatever all the garbage talk was that it had to say to me. And I did not get up and line up to get up on stage one more time. And then, of course, I started to berate myself for not taking the opportunity because I had paid good money to attend this training. I had traveled. I'd taken time off my business to attend. And the second to last speaker started to walk up onto stage, but she paused before she stepped onto that first stair. And she walked over to me in the audience and she said, Krista, I want you to take my place. I think you have something important to say, and I want to hear from you again. Wow. So I got up on stage and I was crying, like actual tears coming out of my eyes. I told some version of this story. People in the audience were crying. And I made a vow that day that I wasn't going to stay in my seat anymore. And I was going to take every opportunity that I wanted to take, that I desired to take. Mm. And I wasn't going to talk myself out of it anymore. So it was only a few months after that training that I was asked to give a presentation on imposter syndrome at Fort Collins Startup Week. And I said, yes. I didn't know that much about it, but as I started to dive into the research, what I found was that I had experienced imposter syndrome many times over in my life, including that day at that conference where I was afraid to get up in that volunteer getup because I was afraid of being found out that I wasn't really that great of a speaker, that I was a fake in some way, shape, or form, that I didn't actually belong on that stage. And so I started talking about imposter syndrome and I wrote about it. It was one of the topics I cover in the book as well. And really just engaging with this idea of how often are we not taking up opportunities because we're afraid that in some way, shape or form, we're not good enough, not qualified enough, you know, that we're going to be found out. Or even when we get opportunities, being constantly afraid that somehow we don't really deserve to be there. We haven't really earned this, that we've gotten lucky or somehow pulled the wool over someone's eyes or somehow like that we don't feel like we truly earned it or deserve it. I heard that from a client today. Who do you think you are? Like, why do people want to listen to you? No more sitting in chairs. <laughs> That's the theme. <laughs> I will no longer sit in my chair. Thank you for sharing that. It's really important because I think as women, gosh, we go there. What's your experience with women and men experiencing imposter syndrome differently? 
What's interesting is that if you look at the research, so imposter syndrome, there was a, a study that was done and it was originally believed that imposter syndrome was primarily experienced by high achieving women. But what they have found out over the years with the research is that actually men and women experience it at equal rates and that up to 70% of people will experience imposter syndrome at some point in time. Or if you're like me, you're going to experience it over and over and over again as you continue to grow and challenge yourself and reach that new level. It's like, oh, now I get imposter syndrome about this new level. Oh, wait, now there's a new level. Oh, I'm going to get it around this level. Do you think men don't talk about it as openly as women because I feel like women and maybe this is a new thing but I feel like women talk about it pretty regularly I don't know that I've heard a lot of men talking about it I think in general you know we find that the social dynamics in our country is as much as it's hard for me to show vulnerability and like we talked about the mental illness I think the stigma is even greater for men. Mm -hmm. It's even harder for men to show vulnerability. So you may be right. It's very possible that men just don't talk about it as often as women, but that doesn't mean they're not experiencing it. And when I give this talk, I often talk to mostly women's groups, but I have given this talk um, to mixed crowds. And there's when I do give it to a mixed crowd, there's always plenty of men in the room. And they're like, this is me. I identify with this. And they talk about that very openly when they're coming to a talk about that topic. I agree. There's a lot more pressure on men to not show vulnerability. It's much more, it's accept, much more acceptable for women. Not, doesn't make it easier, <laughs> but more acceptable. What has been the most vital to your growth? The most vital thing to my growth, honestly, and it continues to be this, is self-acceptance. Going back to everything we've discussed, I have to start where I am. I have to first know where I am and I have to start right where I am. And within that starting point is my greatest potential to succeed. But if I try to start farther along the path than I am, then that's where I hit the most roadblocks, the most setbacks and have a greater potential to fail. Mm, how do people start where they are? That might be too big of a question, but you just mentioned not starting further along the path. It starts with knowing where you are. And again, going back to that, checking in with yourself on a regular basis. I mean, the question, what am I feeling is just one question to know where you are today. Mm -hmm. But it's a great one to start with because it's accessible to most of us, especially if you have a vocabulary of feeling somewhere, whether it's in a resource guide you have, or you go and you download one, or you create your own, that's a great starting point. But just that consistent practice of pausing to acknowledge, what do I feel today? Where am I at? You know, what do I feel physically today? What do I feel emotionally today? Where am I actually starting from? Yeah, I think so often too, there's a quote of some sort that says, be careful you're not comparing your beginning to somebody else's middle. And yeah, I think a lot of times we think, oh, but I need to be where they are without starting from the beginning or giving ourselves even the permission to start from the beginning. And even along the journey, like it's not linear right? Like we don't go in a straight line. And especially if you deal with some kind of mental illness or disability, or you have some other social barrier in place, you know, then it's really important. You might get further down your path and then you might take a few steps back. And those few steps back doesn't mean that you have failed or you're not doing a good job. It just means there's so many layers to the challenges that we all face and the process of experiencing those layers and working with those layers. You know, it's not, you don't do it and then it's done. It's like, again, it's the new level, new devil kind of thing. Like I talked about with imposter syndrome, you know, it's like, oh, now I'm here and I get to revisit this challenge 
from a different perspective. And that can feel like a backslide, but it's not. It's just really being where you're at in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it is still growth. So what do you want to make sure people know walking away from this podcast? If people walk away with anything from this podcast, I hope that it is this message. You are enough. You do enough. It's all we need right there. Krista, I would love for people to be able to get connected with you. So we talked a little bit. You do have a women's leadership community called She Goes High. What does that look like? Well, prior to the pandemic, we were all in person. We did some impact member events virtually, but our main core events we always did in person. Now, since the pandemic, we've gone all virtual, but when we can, we're looking at coming back with a mix of virtual and in-person. We do want to still offer some virtual ways for people to connect, but because it is a community, we really do want to focus on building relationships locally to start. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're coming from with that. So anyone in Northern Colorado, awesome. Okay. And then your book, where can people get your book? So you can order my book basically anywhere. You can get it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. You can special order it. I love supporting small business. Go to your local independent bookstore and you can special order it. And any even online independent bookseller, you should be able to order my book from there as well. And where else can people find you to get connected with you? So my website is www.liveandlovework.com. And that's where you can find out about more about me, particularly as a speaker and an author. And then we have the She Goes High community page. We are on Meetup and we have our own website at shegoeshigh.us. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your heart with all of us. I think that you are doing amazing and beautiful things for women and men and in our community, but all over the world. I feel like the more people can get back to themselves and believe in themselves, the more beautiful our world will be. So thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. This is such a beautiful honor and I am very grateful. Thank you for listening to the We Podcast. What a wonderful conversation with Krista. I hope that this episode encouraged you and that you will start where you are moving forward. Make sure to check out her book and also get connected with She Goes High if you are in Northern Colorado. I'd love to hear about your thoughts or favorite moments from this episode. Find me on social media and let's get connected. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Networks. Also, credit to my talented daughter for creating my show music. You can find more of the WE podcast as well as many other awesome things on the network at loudspeaker.fm. If you heard something that touched you, please don't forget to share with your friends. Leave us a review. We would just love to hear from you. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth. Show up for the hard conversations. Choose growth. And always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time. This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.